Okay, so here we are with the, uh, the special edition of the Congar Soundcast featuring two amazing composers, band leaders, arrangers, musicians, great people, great, great friends, uh, Sam Eastman and Nikki Franklin. Welcome, welcome. Hello, Ben. Hey, Benny. How you doing, man? Right, right, right. So this is the special edition. We're going to uh, just be chatting about your amazing new record, Cerberus, which is... Uh, out in the States, um, certainly, and on special pre-order, as I know, on spikeorchestra.com. I'll get that little bit of promo in there for Thank you. Thank you. Um, which is the Spike Orchestra play Masada Book 2, uh, The Book of Angels, Volume 26. So, that's amazing. John Zorn's label. How did that come about? Okay, so we did, we did an album last year with the big band, um, <clears throat> which was Ghetto. 10-piece narrative suite. Uh, we sent that to John, and I guess he liked it because we started talking about doing a big band Masada. Yeah. There you go, then. Really. It's <laughs> quite simple, isn't it? <laughs> it's straightforward. It sure. so, is it really that easy? No, <laughs> absolutely not. And We're it's a... not as, as emotionally simple as that. <laughs> no, yeah. I can imagine, I can imagine. Okay, well, um, obviously, I think this special edition podcast is kind of cool. Um, something that we've not done before. Essentially, we're going to be doing like an audio liner notes for this record. Um, I mean, I really like this series on Sardic. I think it's great. They look visually awesome. Um, but obviously, in differing to some records, there's no there's no kind of booklet or liner notes and stuff. The music speaks for itself. But you know, some peeps are going to be interested on uh, how the music came about and all that sort of stuff. So, let's kick it off. Okay. Track one is Gehegel. So, yeah, um, this was a this record was a bit of a departure for us, firstly in terms of not writing the music ourselves, yeah. which is something we've always done with the Spike Orchestra, but also there was no narrative through thread to it. Well, we created a narrative, didn't we? Yeah. And this wasn't the first track that we arranged either. So. No, but as we wrote this track, as we arranged it, yeah. this was the opener from the first four bars. Oh, I think. without this question. Was, yeah. This was the opener from seeing that lead sheet. That, mm. uh, as we looked at it, before we even started writing, the possibilities jumping off the page screamed out, put this on first and you know, yeah. kick it off with a bang. Well, um, plus also being um, naturally like a pair of storytellers, we n not only took the lead sheets, but also looked into what what all of the angels were. So, Gehegel, guard of the sixth lonely hall. So we had a lot of conversations just about um, the story side of it. You know, what might this angel be, or how are we going to try and represent it? Even before we look at any music, um, what's what do we imagine the sound of this angel would be? So when we started writing it, I think that. In Jewish music, there's a huge 332 subdivision in four. Mm. Um, it's very similar to a lot of Latin music. So when you start doing stuff with a big band, it's very easy to slip into a quasi-Latin feel whilst keeping a Jewish root. And, and then that gives you all sorts of extra different possibilities as you sort of cross over genres and you meld stuff together. Um, and I think one of the things for this was straight away with our first statement of the head, we put 
Mike Wilkins on the on the tune on alto, yeah. and we wanted to just put a little throwback there to the original Masada series. So we had that kind of drop down low bass and drums and the the sound of the alto. Yeah. And we wanted to try and make a connection for ourselves as we were writing with John's vision of, of Masada yeah. so far, but still do something that was ours. Mm. Um, so we were we were super lucky, um, or we had. Know, a lot of fortune with this record that we were able to get some fantastic musicians. Absolutely. Um, and the first sort of soloist that we really want to talk about is Paul Booth. Who, who appears like prolifically <laughs> on the album. He yeah, appears right. prolifically everywhere. Well, I mean, this is true, yeah. This yeah. man is a, a star of the tenor saxophone. Um, so he was our first soloist on the record, really. Um, and Paul's just a killing sax player. He's, he was a joy to work with. Yeah. When we were in the studio, as you know, Ben, he was one take hitting it with his solos he he wanted to do more takes you know than we did we felt we had it in the can and mm. that we we'd got something greater than our original conception and and paul was just like no man there's there's one more there's a better one in there yeah. um so paul booth blows first and then as as this is our opening track we we put a lot into it we threw a lot of different genres in we yeah. threw a lot of different styles in um something we'd done before that we wanted to reuse because... Well, it's quite Spike, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That we, we cut it down to a, a second line kind of feel as we were mm. introducing the band. And we got um, our two trombonists. One of them who's right here. Mm. Yeah. The lovely in his, Ben. In yeah. his other capacity. <laughs> and, uh, and Ash, there was a great conversation between the two of them, almost like a bit of a sparring... Um, it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, there was there was nothing but love and passive aggressive war of attrition in the studio when that went down. Absolutely. Um, oh, you guys just talk <laughs> as though I'm not here. <laughs> <laughs> Be honest. Be honest. Yeah. So I mean, but also having that interaction, having not just improvisers and not just solos, but having them talk to each other, and as, and as Nikki says, having that conversation there, um, really brought out some great sonic qualities and made it just feel a little bit more like a story again. Yeah, and, as you were and like the Spike about. Orchestra, because that's yeah. how we sound. Well, I've got to say, uh, apart from the fact that I play on it, so disregard that, especially as I'm playing on the whole record, I guess, but as I solo on this, but let's disregard that. But I am going to say that it's a great track that is an awesome way to open an album, and we're going to listen to a little bit now. So let's move on to track two. Uh, what? Hacker, Angel of the Soul. There you go. Cue that up mm. again. Yeah. No, I'm not going to cue it again. We're just going <laughs> to go with it. I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah. it's live. I like the sudden, spontaneous improvisation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Hacker, this is yeah, man. This is a this is a good track, and it's it was important to have a contrast after Gehagel. So Gehagel has a lot of uh, big band cues and a lot of big band tropes in it, and mm. 
we wanted to do something that was a little bit more dirty. Well, this bit. was also about that opening rhythm, mm. wasn't it? It was yeah. just like, bah, 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 bah. It just like over and over. Um, that which which um, I think Sammy said that we used to the uh, point of almost yeah making you feel sick, but not quite. So <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. it's just. Uh, well, it, it feels a lot longer on paper than it does on the record to me, but I, kn I know what's coming. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> yeah, and this time we, we got a feature Moss Freed, um, who's a, a long-time collaborator and a great friend. And, and uh, whose sound we have in our head when we write, like, yeah, everyone has a place in, in, our, in our heads, in our pens, whatever it is, but Moss very specifically is the guitar sound. Yeah, yeah. We, we wrote for Moss, he... He came on board and yeah. he bought in and in the session he, you know, he left nothing in the studio. And we, I think he was a broken man when he left that day. <laughs> we, we took a lot out of him. Sorry, um, Moss. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we, we featured Moss straight off with a, a filthy guitar solo. And again, like, we get, we're getting only just into the second track. And I think, uh, personally, for me, whereas... Um, uh, I think we come from different angles, you and I, Sam. And for me, that like dirty guitar, like out there squeaks, and um, is totally um, the sound of like the edge of the spike orchestra, which makes us spiky. So it's the conversations, like in track one with Ben and Ash. It's this like uh, hard Zapparesque guitar sound um, that that makes us. U unique, I think, or, or different. Yeah, and, and when we were in the studio um, and we were trying to get this guitar sound down, I mean, me and Ben were talking to Moss a lot about uh, using feedback and using noise and use and not just starting off with notes, but starting the solo with a sound, with yeah. something that was sort of quite visceral and quite an assault on the senses that was not... You know, like like jangling your keys. For like, example, like, yeah, picking, yeah, like dropping a tray of glasses. <laughs> nice, yeah. Um, so yeah, and and that's Moss. You know, he's he's an excellent guitarist. We're very fortunate and very happy to have him. Yeah, great composer. Um, and we we did other things in this piece that we we try and hark back to that uh, sort of the point at which sound breaks down into noise and stops being music. So when Mike's playing uh, the alto on this a lot of the time, mm. we. You know, in the studio as well, in rehearsal, we, we were encouraging to bring out some of the multiphonics, some of the breakdown in sound, so yeah. that when he plays, there's a connection to what Moss has done earlier. And the, and the whole piece is really a, a conflict between that very regular, very metronomic rhythm at the start yeah. and some kind of anarchic chaos and, and throughout. And a thread of beauty, though. I mean, it does break down and just, like, have uh, suspends a little as well, I think, so... Okay, so track three is Hananiel, and uh, just for people who might not uh, have, know these kind of little specific tidbits of information, but it's a sort of smart Alec thing that I like to mention. Track two runs for five minutes and nine seconds. Track three, 
an annual runs for five minutes and nine seconds Do you as know well. what? Even I didn't know Well, that. there you go. I've got it right up in front of me. So there you go. Well, what a great way to, uh, yeah, to start off with an annual. Yeah, obviously we that. Well it's, great. well, it's the Archangel, obviously. It's towering over everything. Um. Yeah. So, and, and the opening to this um, uses something that I like to throw in every so often that um, as a sonic kind of nod to... Um, Gil Evans when we, mm. we put the piano just at the edge of hearing and we get them to use the notes that don't really make notes but where you really just hear the piano keys moving and you get that vibe of almost castanets yeah, or you something can't, you can, you do, it's not clear I think um, it's clear to us what that sound is but I think just listening to it um, sort of the untrained ear would not necessarily be like why is that sound yeah or is it an effect or is it it's like what quite is that uh and that's brilliant it's just a sort of otherworldliness um because when we first started looking at the orchestration for this one we talked about having a breathy opening um and maybe even using the voice in this one to to bring that sort of archangel angelic thing and then and then we uh, sort of settled on this sound and of course as things went on deciding not to holding back the voice right until the very end so it was good to explore other ways of creating that sound without yeah so we switched between a couple of worlds here again and it's again it's that us not getting bored when we're doing anything and us wanting to bring things together and um, this is probably the first example of us using a really conventional Jewish sound world in mm. sort of referencing a lot of klezmer hits points and um, we start off with the accordion um, which is Mike Guy or the accordion player is Mike Guy mm. um, who's a big part again of our conceptual sound world when we start writing and thinking about that that's a little bit different but we also bring into this one um, the king of North London klezmer clarinet Stuart that's it. Curtis that's the one and only um, who's, a, who's a very funny guy he's yeah. a breath of fresh air to have around the studio um, and yeah. he's just the most phenomenal multi-reeds player I mean the man plays everything you can blow into and some more things um, and just his sound was was a real you know, treat to have on the yeah, recording yeah he hits that archetypal sound and yeah. there are points in his solo where he's wailing where he's crying, mm. where he's laughing, where he's talking where you, you get that voice like uh, quality, quality which yeah. you were talking about before and once yeah. we knew we had Stu on board Again, it sort of threw us into that world, and this is actually Stu's second um, book two Masada uh, appearance. Mm. He plays on Good Friend Cab Israelites volume four, right. entry into the series, um, and because Stu brings Stu brings that. Yeah. Well, there you go. We're going to have a little listen to that right now. Okay, so track four is La Howl, um, and I'm going to attempt to say a word which I can't actually say very well, um, but La Howl is obviously palindromic. Well done. Well Thank done you. Thank you. There you yeah. go. Thank you. That, if that's not worth the price of the podcast, I don't know what is. Well, we're always value for money. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, La Howl is, this is a workout for the reeds at the top. 
Yeah. And this is our big unaccompanied Solly moment in an odd time signature. Oh, God, yes. Um, what I thought was a sensible comment or maybe a joke while we were recording this and rehearsing this was always just like, you know, you have to get it right once, guys, and when we gig it, you can learn it from the record. And <laughs> we, we spent a lot of time... Um, with the reeds and we we got some great reeds players so we're going to mention really mike nice wilkins section. well the section uh, vasilis Sinopolis, paul booth stuart curtis and erica clark really had a tough time in the first 13 bars of this mm. which doesn't sound like a lot but but is yeah well that's a lot of beats to count in a bar as well <laughs> to be fair you know um, yeah and then we contrast all sorts of things again in here we've got again a real kind of villagey klezmer feel to it we've got some guitar going on in there nice first utterances from sam uh, sam lake on the keyboards i think uh, again like when uh, moss comes in in hacker i think sam coming in with his solo in in la Hal again sets up that slightly disjointed sound world there's not a beautiful piano playing in any of this. Yeah, There's and we contrast that with some beautiful playing from the brass section Exactly, in this. yeah. And recording that, I remember, Ben, as I'm sure you do, that there was a moment in this that just never quite sat right in the studio on the page, that we weren't, what they were playing was fantastic and we weren't quite getting the sound we wanted. And then you were just like, oh, man. Throw it on flugel. Let's put it on flugel. Ah, yes. Mm. And yes. We, we got this beautiful solo on flugel horns that just suddenly came to life. Just that slight change of timbre and adding yeah. the depth to that sound really just suddenly it clicked and we just went right on. Yeah, That's actually, beautiful. I remember that. I think the trumpets were questioning that because there wasn't enough time to change from trumpet to flugel because yeah. I think it was back on. Um, it was back to back. Oh well, we'll see oh, how that yeah. comes out yeah. live as well, yeah. won't we? There well, you go. we we got our razor blades to the tape. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Again, I was probably really helpful and said they had two hands; they could have one in each or something to that effect. Without question, Sam. Yes. <laughs> track five I'm reliably informed by Ben is the longest on the album um, it's uh, called on in Armaic incantations it's one of my favorite tracks uh, on the album mainly for when it just like kicks in with Erica uh, and uh, and Dave on that bottom end it's just yeah yeah so this is I mean this is another big set piece number and yeah because I think me especially, we're, we're old-fashioned. This was our last track on the first side of the album in our heads. Yeah, we, yeah. When we were sequencing the album, we very much thought of it like a, a slab side. of vinyl, yeah, yeah. and we had two sides. And this is this is what we're closing side one side one with. Yeah. Um, so we got a lovely introduction, but then it, yeah, Erica channels. It just her. slaps in like bow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Erica Clark on baritone sax and. We hit another lad in groove and we feature Paul Booth over this. And Vaz. 
and yeah. Baz in conversation. Again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's because we spend our time in arranging or when we're composing constantly in conversation, never in battle, I might add. Um, but mainly, <laughs> never, no. Uh, but but actually, mainly in conversation on what should we do here and what about if we do this and we'll try that and so on. And maybe that yeah, comes our, across. Our music in the, reflects us in a stunning turn. Of <laughs> how, how surprising. Um, um, but also, it's, we, you know, I always struggle a little bit in just labelling it as jazz. There's, you know, a multitude of influences that we use and the idea of just having one thing going on at a time sounds boring. I like seven things going on well, at a time. We like to talk time. over each yeah, other. always. You know, so. Which is an effective podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Trick. Yeah, it's like very good, find. and actually yeah. I'm going to fade the track in right now. So then, here we go. The track is fading in. This is our master. Okay, so this is track six, Throneness, six minutes and forty-seven seconds of awesomeness, I must say, which would be in your um, in your imaginary vinyl version of this. This would be side B, track wow. one. And so we felt this had to have some presence. At well, it's the, start. the throne angel. It's like baba. Um, yeah. So we we got our. We got our Copland out, we, and we got, got our regal chops. Sorry, out. you got your what? Our Copland. Oh, I see, right. You know, um, and we got our we got Noel Langley, Karen Straw, and George Hogg on trumpets, and we opened with a fanfare. It's lovely. Um, in part, the, the Copland link made sense, and there's a track on Noel's album which I will plug, mm. Eden Tide, which references that as well. Yeah. Um, and just on on that note, having Noel come on board uh, when we were writing this really. Well, it was a great lift. That suddenly, nothing was impossible on trumpet. And Absolutely, yeah. Having we're, these three guys three, yeah. just able to whatever we want, we put it on the page, and they knock it out of the park. Mm. Um, so, after we've had our regal throne angel opening, this piece is pretty much a, a fight between the the band and between my guy and accordion. Yeah. And everything the band does is quite in. Is quite documented and quite crisp and. And then Mike is just the creeping insanity of... Of, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't <laughs> of, look at yeah. me like that! <laughs> I think that's um, it. And, of, and then, of course, Sam um, on trumpet uh, with the, just, like, great effects and um, a, a very Sam sound, if I may say so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting because we deliberately chose not to massively feature ourselves on this album, unlike uh, Ghetto, where we're splurging all over it. Um, so I think it was a really sort of nice, you've waited until the B-side um, to get Sam out and there we go, we pop him on there. Yeah, I, I like to think of it as making valid artistic expressions rather than splurging, but this was the, this <laughs> well, was the point at which we started to do that. And yeah. Again, I always find it very difficult playing with the band, um, especially in the studio, because mm. I, I very much am a 
hands-on director and I'm jumping about and I like to do stuff and I always feel that as a player I want to be only focused on playing so I almost don't like playing in the big band it's it's divided isn't it but then it's also really nice I think in contrast in that particularly in a live situation because the whole band is with you it's like if you or I are soloing everyone's there and supporting us in kind um, you know, as we do when we're, you know, waving hands about or I mean, not in a conducting way. But. Yeah, and also after I've bared my soul or splurged or yeah. however you wish to address it, we, we bring in the saxophones and calling back to La Halle and calling back to Mike's earlier and later solos in this piece, this, again, it starts as a conversation between uh, Paul and Vaz and, and then it descends into that chaos again and all mm. five of them are blowing before we jump back to the head and... You know, we, we're putting lots of sections in that are essentially the same vibe but over different instruments and moving yeah. things around to create different sound worlds. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we do have, we've got different themes that run throughout the album and you see them popping up in different places. So, um, and you definitely feel that here. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to fade in on this track and hear a little bit of Sam playing some trumpet. Shania now, uh, which is track seven, track two on side B. Um, and this one, again, it employs one of my favourite things that I like to have that you never write, that just happens sometimes, which is if you listen very carefully, you can hear some key click in the intro from Erica's bass clarinet. Um, and it's one of those sounds that that isn't supposed to be there, and it's like getting a a finger scraping across a string or a breath of air or something like that. I like the realness you get when you have when you have those little bits and part of the reason um, I enjoy producing with Ben um, is that we both have a concept of a very organic sound mm. that we like to mm. create. I think that sort of thing would normally really get on my nerves. Yeah. But you know, rightly so. It's part of part and parcel of the instrument, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you absolutely. You, you, can't, you physically can't play that. So, I mean, there you go, folks. If you ever hear a bass clarinet with no key clicks and stuff like that, it might not be real. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you've heard it here first. It might be sampled and played in, which there's nothing wrong with that. And there you go. But we, when we write, when me and Nicky sit down and we write the bass clarinet intro, yeah. That that key click is part of what we're writing when we know we're writing for Erica. Yeah, as always, you know, we're well, writing for people, not just seats. Speaking of key click, it's a big feature for Sam Leek on keyboards as well. Yes, you know, yeah, key absolutely. click. Yeah, well yeah. done, nice link. So you like that? Yeah, yeah. I've thought good. long and hard That's about good. that. Yeah. Sam's a band leader and a soloist in his own right, and a academic. And what that comment is academic or Sam's <laughs> academic, <That's> or academic <laughs> darling. Yeah. Sam is an academic yeah. hi Sam <laughs> if you ever listen to this yeah um, so yeah jumping straight to the solo and again we start off with Sam but I mean I almost want to talk about what's happening underneath that at that point because underneath that we've got Ashley Slater on trombone again and one of the things we did there that the idea is that Sam's playing his solo with the band and yeah and the idea conceptually 
then for Ashley, is Ashley's like uh, a wandering cry. Well, for as Ali we had with Mike Guy on the accordion in the previous, you know, it's just like a separate. It's like there's a, a separate undertone going on, a different sub plot. Um, sounds, yeah, sounds and, and Ash played it brilliantly. He was the clown. He's laughing. Yeah. He's crying. He's weeping. And and then when we recorded it, we wanted to make it sound like it was like it was off mic. Like yeah. Sam is on stage soloing, yeah. and Ash is just wandering Got around the back of the audience, wailing and honking and. Again, Ben can tell you probably more about how we got that sound, but it just, what we got on the record was exactly what we wanted, was just a beautiful little contrast of the two sounds. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I'm not going to take any credit for that. There was no production involved, it was purely out of um, Ash's mind, and, you know, good choice and the the right person to do such a thing. The reflection on Sam's sound, having spent some time in the rehearsal studio as well with the band all together, and uh, there is a just reflection of sound and people explore different ideas, that's what's so great about getting beyond the paper to to real musicians, real sounds. and sounds particular. And that that clown motif is something we use a lot that is a present, that tragedy and laughter and Mm. that kind of quite Mingus-like idea of... Absolutely. I don't remember, I don't think you put many clown parts on my my part on this record this time. We knew you could play like a clown, whatever (laughs) we put in front of you. Naturally (laughs) clown-like. Well, anyway, here we go. So we'll listen to a bit of um, Sam Solo with the the clown-like sounds of uh, Ashley Slater behind. Ash, that wasn't me that said you sound like a clown. That was merely... The two uh, band leaders and arrangers, Sam and Nikki, saying it sounds like a clown. That sounds awesome. Here we go. track eight donnell which is right in the middle it's the meat and potatoes length okay it's five minutes 48 (laughs) seconds i think it's if we averaged everything out that might be right down the middle maybe just shy of of the top end um but anyway personally this is one of my favorite tracks on the record i think ash um does a great solo on this as does mike um i think this is something that we knew we were coming to the end we hope we've taken you on a journey that goes a little bit out in places, and this one almost has a more conventional big band approach. Yeah, with, I think that's fair to say. With the writing that we use, you know, we use sections of mm. instruments, and we use a lot of things that we use when we're writing for the big band all the time. Um, and Ash, yeah, Ash killed. You yeah, know. yeah, Ash absolutely. brought yeah, really. a sound and a evocation that was. Exactly what we asked for. Angelic guard of the South Gate. Yes, I mean, I can't think of anything less (laughs) angelic than Ashes blasting out. I remember being in Mm. the studio and thinking that the wall was going to come down (laughs) um, from the mere power and awesome sound that he gets. Yeah, well, I I can't put it any better than that. I can can only write his name at the top of a page and... Um, Yeah, actually, actually, technically, here's producer's technical note. 
um, I won't do this again, people, but Paul sitting behind the desk and, and he was doing his solo, I think I couldn't turn the gain down um, much more. It was very much like I either have to turn this off and not record it or have it, you know, a hair higher to get a sound. But um, there you go. I mean, power, sound, awesome. Also, Ash really just, from the moment he walked in the rehearsal room on the first day, in fact, prior to even meeting him on that first day, he just seemed to go, I, I don't know quite what this, this is that you're doing, but I have a feeling I'm going to really like it. And, that, and, and then f f onwards from that moment, the positivity that just exuded from the man and the enthusiasm um, and the quality of, of what he brings to the album. It wouldn't be the same album with, without him. Well, number nine, the penultimate, uh, was the first one we arranged. Um, and and the, the last as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we started, I think, um, we had a sort of pre-conceptual ideas of um, what we were going to do for the album. Obviously, really um, being familiar with a lot of the the previous albums in the series, the way that different ensembles have, have approached John's um, John's music for this. So then when we got the, the heads through and we started to do the arrangement, we came in first with this one, um, and I think we just, it took us a while to find our feet. I think arranging. we were, at this point, we were still a little bit overly reverential to the source. And yeah, and... This one especially, because it's such a lyrical, beautiful melody. There's no uh, <clears throat> obvious breaks or hit points in, mm. in the, the, sort of the tune. And it's got this beautiful sort of shifting time signatures moment all the way through it. Um, and we kind of almost just did a straight orchestration yeah, of the head exactly, to begin yeah. with. And when we'd gone through the process and we deconstructed everything else and we came back to it, it, it almost didn't fit it and it, it felt like spike. it wasn't doing justice yeah, to the yeah. source material we had. It yeah. felt like it wasn't as much as we could make it. Um, yeah, it was really interesting just at that point when, when we had sort of, we'd done everything and then we, we sort of came back to Ragawell and just went, okay, so now we're ready to do this. So, and, and then it came out, actually, it was really fast. The, well, the so, so, so what you're telling me is that you essentially did two arrangements of this. Two full there, arrangements. There exists yeah. a Spike Orchestra version of Ragawell no one will ever hear. Yes. Well. <laughs> <laughs> really. It's very much <laughs> no, a true. sketch. There's always the next um, project. Because, this one, because what we ended up with was, was good, basically. Um, the, the opening on the horns without the rhythm section, which is something uh, you know, we like to do in big bands where you... You, you take away that support network and you turn them almost into something a little bit more symphonic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the way they conceptualise that as not. players then yeah. and approach playing it uh, is always quite interesting to watch. Um, yeah, and with them we have our regular descent into 
anarchy. Yes, um, at the hands of. Well, at the hands of Carl Stalling obliquely. Absolutely, um, we, yeah. We yeah. pulled out some cartoon moves in this one. Yeah. Um, which yeah, is a is a great influence of ours. Is a Absolutely, great yeah, trope yeah. through a lot yeah, of records. Really well, I mean, this also has two of my favourite solos on on uh, on this track. You have mm. Moss Freed on guitar, and also. Paul Booth again on on tenor sax, and you know what? I'm gonna give them both a shout out for their latest records. So um, Moss, uh, his his band that he uh, I think is probably a collaborative band, but it's called uh, Let Spin, and um, they've got a new record called Let Go out on EFPI Records, based up in Manchester, I think. And also Paul um, recently re uh, well he released. Um, an album called The Patchwork Project, Volume One, uh, on Pathway Records. Mm-hmm. Two, um, two awesome, awesome records. Yeah, yeah, yeah they've really been getting great. a lot of spins over at Spike Tower. Those two, highest recommendation. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's Ragwell, really. Right. Let's hear some. We've reached the end. The um, end. Track ten. Yeah. Pahadron, the Angel of Terror. My favourite. Yeah, now it's your favourite. <laughs> your favourite angel or your favourite track? Oh, well, uh, everything. You know, when, when we were looking at the different angels and we have Angel of Terror, <laughs> it's like, well, it immediately... Um, apart from the fact that it's like a toy, it's like, oh, my word, we can really play with this. And there's all the Naked City... Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I remember this one almost being a hard sell in the process when we, when we wrote all of these arrangements or when we started all of these arrangements, we kind of hold ourselves up in my apartment and just spent I must have been about seventy two hours only occasionally sending out for sort of food and coffee. Yeah, um, and just writing pretty much nonstop. Solid, yeah. Um, certainly, Dan, I, I remember. We argued about this one, or we discussed this one the most. I think, um, um, and it I think took once, a while. once yeah. we got the <laughs> opening, and I had, you know, I, I had the opening sketched out, and I was saying, no, 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 go with me on this. It really works. The Angel of Terror. It will, it will sound foreboding. Um, I would do it, and I, I think you wanted to start it almost while we finished it, and then maybe go somewhere else. And we threw ideas around, and mm. you know, it was also a track that. Like you said, Naked City, I mean, we used Vasilis at the end yeah. very purposefully. Um, Vasilis Sinopolis, that yeah. is, on alto sax as a soloist. Um, we used him because he's got a really great kind of almost a pop sound. And not that we were making a direct sonic comparison, but we also felt we could reference some of those Naked City Absolutely, moves. absolutely. And it's also where we come in, isn't it? You've got the, the alto at the beginning, you've got alto at the end. It's, again, that storytelling um, And know, we gesture. brought voice in. We brought you in. Well, that's it. I mean, yeah. both of you feature yeah. playing-wise or mm. performing-wise on, on this with the voice and Sam, your, your trumpet as well. So, mm. um, so it was a nice way to finish, but actually. Yeah. Also, all three of us feature on this quite heavily because I remember you did quite a lot production wise with 
some of the sounds we create. We'd been talking as we went through the process about you know wanting to do one where you had a little bit of a play. Yeah, I mean this. I think this track again. It's another one of my favourite tracks on the record. It's kind of got a different thing to it at the it start. Does, and I think yeah. you know. I think actually most people, especially guys in the band and stuff as well. I mean, it's it just feels like it's from a slightly different place. And then what we did with the production um, on it is kind of just add a bit of dirt to it, add a bit mm -hmm. of a little bit more grit to it. Um, not that the guys in the band weren't bringing it they really were and actually it's probably a good chance to mention that we had otto wilberg on bass otto, and chris yeah. nichols on drums yeah, and yeah. and you know i think it's just this really heavy dirty almost rock style yeah, groove yeah. to yeah. it and and it's quite intense in in post we we put a little bit of distortion on the bass and we we brought that rock feel out i think with some of the stuff we did but when you talk about the guys there, I mean, Otto was... I mean, it's he just the beginning the of concept. The beginning of a long relationship. Band, yeah. Mm. Well, that's right. And, and actually, you know, I will take a little <laughs> bit of credit for the end of the track mm. where we go with the sound of the amplifiers. It's a little sound of tape hiss. It's, it's a little sound yeah. of remnants of the distortion and the, and the production effects that we put on with the little spooky piano yeah. um, repeaty riff going round at the Which, end. I think it's just really, you know, it's a really quite awesome way to finish a record. Well, and like I, yes. I think it also feels like it's it's almost like the opening. Mm. Uh, so, so that it's like, oh, so what's coming? Oh, the end, and it leaves you feeling like... <gasps> yeah. yeah, flip it over, hit Gahagiel. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. We're going to have a quick listen to a bit of power drum right now. That is the Spike Orchestra Cerberus album, 10 tracks of awesomeness. All of these songs are composed by John Zorn. Both of you are composers in, in the Spike Orchestra itself. You know, in the past, you've, you've totally composed the music and arranged and orchestrated and stuff. You know, as far as concept goes, I think this record has managed to keep a strong kind of identity to Spike Orchestra. Mm. Obviously, you couldn't not agree with that, but you must have had to approach this record quite differently because, you know, you're arranging. So I think that, yeah, I mean, one of, the, one of our ground rules when we started was only original compositions. Yeah. No, no sort of arrangements no of any kind. <laughs> no swing eighths was another yeah. ground rule, yeah. When you started um, the Spike Orchestra. Yeah. Not, not this project, no, not this project. But <laughs> I, think, I don't think it was that tough to write because we already have that groundwork of a collaborative relationship yeah. with this. That it's all, everything we write for the band is always a collaboration with each other. Yeah. So at this stage, we're actually just adding another collaborator to the mix. So we're working with John. Mm. Um, so we brought a lot of ourselves to it. I don't, I don't feel a lack of personal connection to any of the tracks, and I know you don't. Yeah. 
I think one thing that's quite important in that is that yes we're arranging but it's not that we're arranging material that is massively in the in the public sphere and, and understanding. We're not arranging the tunes of ABBA in the style of Big Band, for sure. example. You know, sure. it's One of these tracks has been done before yes. by a different different ensemble. Right. Yeah, yeah, Hacker was... Um, Did you actually listen to the, the well, other I mean, version I've, before? I've, uh, yeah, I've got all... I've got all 25 albums mm. that come before ours sitting on my shelf. But specifically for Hacker, did you? No, did you, no, you didn't no, reference we specifically no, we, didn't we did for that purpose. We yeah. almost stopped listening to that entry into the into the volume. And, yeah. You know, we didn't want, not that we mind, you know, we're working from the same source material, we're, we're writing the same tune. Um, but I don't think we wanted to reference what someone else did already Either put or feel influenced or by. Yeah. Which we would have been more well, I think that's, I mean, that, that's, that's something awesome about having a, a vast catalogue, many series of, of music that he has composed, all being interpreted by different artists and, mm. and amazing musicians, and, and then to release in a series. It's, um, I think it's an amazing, amazing concept, and, mm, and yeah. this record really is, um, I mean, I can say it, I was involved, yeah. but... Um, I think I think it's a it's a it's a great triumph really and I mean apart from the amazing writing you know it was an amazing bunch of of musicians yeah it was I mean it's it's been a dream for me to work with John to yeah. work on Sardi and and little things like when you when I see an email from Chippy with the album cover or when I I have to send off to master disc to Scott Hull with with Bender the finished tapes then you know this is Stepping into a world I've I've been a part of as a as a listener for so long. And yeah, so it's it really is. Um, I think we're just so we feel really honoured to to be a part of this series, which is just uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's been very so important in our in our foundation. The in people our that went before sound. us in Masada, you know, Pat Metheny, Joe yeah. Lovano. I mean, John himself, Jamie yeah, Sass, Martin Medeski, just yeah, well, it's, so it, yeah. It's you know, you go through the all. list. So you know, our friend John Madoff, who's who's done one as well. Yeah. And also, there's a sense of family. I I there found really with is, the yeah. people we've reached out to and said your volume, whatever we're. Volume twenty six. Yeah. You know, everyone's and been really sweet. It's, it's also really lovely. A friend of mine in France once, uh, he when he got the Ghetto album, he was like, "This is the best album you'll never hear," uh, which I think is really true. And what what John has done for us is allowed the Spike Orchestra to get into the ears of people that are going to dig it. Totally. Well, that's an awesome way to wrap up. I must say, thank you both, Sam Eastman, Nikki Franklin from the Spike Orchestra. It's been a great chat, and it's a great record. We know I'm going to do the shout-out for you both. <laughs> um, it is www.spikeorchestra.com, and um, you can also do a little pre-order still in the UK for physical products from um, from spikeorchestra.com and mm. all of the regular places that you would buy your awesome music from. So thanks again, both thanks, of you. Benny. Thanks, yeah. Ben. It's thanks. It's been great to be on the Kungar Soundcast. Yes, it's been a bit strange I've, I've for you, Sam. I've heard all of them so be. far. I'm a big yeah. fan. <laughs> strange for you to be I'm literally on the, on, the other, on, the other side <laughs> of the, on the other side of the room. But there you go. Thank you for listening to the Kungar Soundcast Special Edition with Spike Orchestra. Mm-hmm.